Welcome to the inside. As the summer season kicks off, millions of movie fans return to theaters this week to see familiar faces on screen. Universal's F9 roared through the international box office, while in North America, A Quiet Place 2 from Paramount and Cruella from Disney added to a total box office of more than $100 million. The Wall Street Journal's R.T. Watson summed it up best by saying that this week, quote, demonstrated that moviegoing, which has survived past existential threats from TV to home video, remains a resilient industry. And Hollywood is just warming up. The stream of upcoming blockbusters includes Black Widow, Suicide Squad, Dune, James Bond and No Time to Die, Tom Cruise and Top Gun Maverick, and for Christmas, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. I'm Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and our co-host for this series of conversations is Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us live from Brussels, Belgium, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good to see you. Well, sir, it feels like this is the week the movie business really began its comeback. How do you see the balance of this month, and what do cinemas need to be doing to get back on track? What, do you, what are your thoughts? I think if I see the numbers, I think they should continue doing what we saw the last weekend or the last weeks, right? I think the message is, is you know, simple for me. Get the cinemas back open, and I think there's still a lot to be opened around the world. And allow people back to enter, right? I, I don't think that, that it's magic. I think people have been waiting to go back and make sure that we get a great experience uh, so that when people go back this first time and see the title they're looking for, that they find it a great experience to go back to the next one. But I think it's it's as simple as that right now. And, and I think let us just keep on fighting in a positive spirit of um, making sure we can open the, the, the theaters, keep on fighting against against COVID, right, uh, in a way that we can make sure people feel safe, because those are, I think, the ingredients we need to have people coming back to the theaters. The past few weeks have really included a great deal of drama behind the scenes with the announcement by AT&T that they would fold Warner Brothers Studios and Warner Media into a new venture with Discovery Communications. So there are going to be more changes in the way some of the major studios operate as they chart the way forward in these times of change. Jim, we have the perfect guest to talk about the changes happening in Hollywood and Silicon Valley. Bill Simon leads the worldwide media and entertainment practice from Corn Ferry International. The company is the largest executive recruitment firm in the world, and our guest has worked with the major studios and Silicon Valley stakeholders to find and attract the top executive talent to grow their companies. Welcome, Bill Simon. Good morning. Good morning. Bill, uh, we have seen a lot of change going on in Hollywood. And to Wim's point, uh, you have a great perspective of all this. What do you make of the combination of AT&T and Discovery Communications? Well, it's obviously a an earthquake to the industry. Uh, it has shaken up the entire industry in terms of uh, people staying in the business and people getting out of the business. And the fact that uh, AT&T made their decision, I think just three years after buying into the enterprise and retreating as quickly as they did, tells you how fast things change and co will continue to change across the media landscape. Uh, we are in for a continuous ride, I think, of more consolidation, more constriction, more M&A over the next 18 to 24 months. Bill, you have been you have close interactions with Hollywood and Silicon Valley. We have seen the centers of power getting closer. What lessons can the entertainment learn from Silicon Valley and versa versa? 
Well, I think the uh, the big lesson that Silicon Valley can can learn from Hollywood is that the creative process is very unique, it's very special, and it's not always planned. It's unique in terms of getting the writers, the directors, the lighting, the music, but also the timing, the timing in the marketplace, the gestalt of what's going on in the world. A picture might work at, if it's released at one point in time, but might not work if it was released six months later or three months later, just because of what's going on in the universe. And so that ability to deal with the unexpected, the unanticipated, the, you know, the fact that a big motion picture might cost $100 million or more to produce, 50 or $60 million to release it, and then it disappears. It might disappear after two weeks or three weeks. And so if you're an AT&T or if you're a Microsoft, that, that's not how you're accustomed to, to investing and getting a result and having it disappear as quickly. On the other hand, if you're, if you're Hollywood, you know, there's, there's different disciplines that, that Silicon Valley brings to things and different ways of monetizing and different ways of protecting intellectual property and so on. And so there's a lot to be gained from, from the Silicon Valley uh, experience also. And so that needs to be combined in a way that gets the best out of each side. Well, Hollywood is a graveyard of ambitions from outside companies thinking that they could come here and buy a studio and, yep. and, and create synergies or, and, and we think in terms of AOL purchasing Time Warner. We think of Seagram's mm -hmm. buying uh, Universal Studio. We think of Mashusta Electronics buying uh, Universal Studios. Now Warner Media being purchased by AT&T. So quite a few companies have come to Hollywood saying, hey, we make great technology, let's get a content product that we can bond with our technology. Uh, the one possible exception is Sony purchasing uh, in, uh, Columbia Pictures and turning it into Sony Pictures Entertainment. What are the lessons that these companies learned in coming to Hollywood that w was so different than, than what their visions were when they came? Well, I think that what, and you gave some great examples and, and there are such examples that go back a hundred years in the history of uh, the studio business and filmmaking and then into television where, where it failed and failed and failed and failed those acquisitions. Um, and, and whether you use the Seagram's example or the Masushita examples or, or what have you, I mean, they're all excellent examples. It's a lot harder to, to put lightning in a bottle creatively and to ex execute on that. And Sony, by the way, as, as I understand it, you know, it's taken Sony 15 or 18 years to get to, a, to as profitable a status as they are today. They just reported in the last, I think, two weeks or three weeks, some, some very impressive financial performance out of SPE, Sony Pictures Entertainment. But they, they suffered through more than a dozen years, maybe close to 15 years of marginal performance at best. And they used to call, and, and if you walked around the Sony lot, with people who work there, they would talk about, well, this is a this you know this is a Spidey year, meaning a Spider-Man release year, or it's not a Spidey year, so we're going to have a terrible year. And so the notion of thousands of people working on this beautiful lot in Culver City, and it's all dependent on one title each year or every other year, or every third year, to to manage their business. That's a pretty scary scenario in my mind, but I can remember having lots of those conversations. They'd say, well, it's not a spidey year, Bill. So, you know, we, we're, we're not expecting good things. I mean, that's crazy. You can, you can't build a business on, shouldn't have to build a business on around one title release. Does a company like Apple need the same kind of creative partnership? Bob Iger in his book said that had Steve Jobs lived, they would have joined Apple and Disney. Now that's Bob Iger's book from a year ago. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty, that was a pretty interesting 
chapter. Does an Apple need a partner? Uh, does an Apple need a creative? Well, what Apple seems to be doing today, and they, they're dipping, they seem to be dipping their toe into the content business, meaning the, the fundamental entertainment media and IP business. And they have a number of deals and they're financing a number of series and some, a couple of them have been reasonably successful. But they've said publicly, I believe that they're investing about a billion dollars or a couple billion dollars in original content and acquisition of content. Well, for a company the size of Apple, that's not even a hobby. I mean, let alone a business, in my mind. It doesn't move the needle. It doesn't affect the stock price. It doesn't do anything for Apple other than maybe test some waters and, and, and do a little bit of R&D at a, at a pretty nominal cost, uh, given the scale of that enterprise. You know, if they're going to get serious about the content business, you know, one could suggest that they acquire a major studio or a major group of uh, networks, cable networks and broadcast and or broadcast networks. Others suggest that they should just be the platform. What they seem to be suggesting is they just want to be the platform to distribute everything and be the, uh, the open, essentially the open platform that they can charge against and, uh, and, and, and reap those economic benefits. But, but what they're doing now is sort of neither fish nor fowl. I mean, it's, it's, it's just kind of a weekend hobby, it seems to me. So, but, but, you know, others can disagree with me. I, I, I just don't think it moves the needle. I don't think it does, has any impact on the industry other than a couple more producers and a couple more actors and a couple more writers get some, some really high quality work in. And that's a good thing. In, in just the last year, Disney purchased Fox and AT&T bought Warner Bros. At the same time, Netflix and Amazon are growing their workforces. How are these moves altering the Hollywood workforce? Well, the, the technology-based companies are changing the, the entertainment media workforce significantly. What they seem to be doing is, is essentially overpaying to bring in talent from the entertainment side into their technology-based companies. The challenge to that, though, is that the culture is very, very different. And so while people may be getting a significant salary increase and or uh, stock equity program, uh, they don't seem to have the security or longevity that they might have had in an entertainment company. And so people are cycling in and out of these companies much more quickly than they seem to uh, have been doing over the years at the at traditional entertainment companies. But there is a notion, and, and, and a correct one, I'm sure, that the technology companies need to bring in talent from, from the businesses that they're trying to enter, right, or trying to grow. And so they have to hire experienced professionals and they have to give them the resources to, to make these uh, shows or series or movies or what have you, games. But then they, uh, they can also do an about face on people and, and uh, make changes much more rapidly than you'd see in an, a traditional entertainment company. What characteristics are studios looking for in an individual today when they call you? Is it the same it was 10 years ago? What are they looking for? There's a, there's a couple of fundamental changes or alterations, if you will. It's a great question, Jim, uh, and I appreciate it. The first thing is uh, people have a much deeper, broader understanding of the consumer habits, somebody who's much deeper into actual consumer uh, understanding and experience. And so that ability to, whether it's with, with regard to monetization, whether it's with regard to marketing and branding, whether it's with regard to targeted advertising or what have you, all of those things come into play. So a much deeper understanding of, uh, of, of the consumer. The other thing, and, and this has been going on obviously for the last year plus in, in the United States, but also elsewhere in the world as well, uh, diversity and inclusion, DE&I, uh, has become a much more urgent and actually sincere priority in the last year year plus. It was always a nice to have, 
people would say the right things in the in the entertainment industry, but they really weren't putting their consistently putting their money where their mouths were. Uh, and now I think there's a real sense of obligation, commitment, necessity, requirement, and and political will that uh, is going toward this. And so that has become a change, and that's really only in the last 12 to 15 months uh, as a result of the uh, uh, social actions of the last of that last period. But the studios are the studios are serious about yeah DNI yeah. Yeah, diversity inclusion is not just a talking point. Exactly right, Jim. It's, it, it's a hiring factor. And there's even now, you know, uh, CEOs in a, at a couple companies. There have been some articles in the Wall Street Journal and New York Times, I think, re- somewhat recently on it. A couple, a couple of major companies, not necessarily entertainment companies, by the way, but are pegging uh, CEO uh, uh, bonus compensation to uh, DEI uh, objectives. And so we're starting to see that you know companies and boards of directors are actually putting. So you're going to get paid in part on how you integrate this workforce Correct. to be more inclusive and diverse. Yeah, and diversity has 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 a very broad definition too, and it, it, as it should, and I think that's important as well. And it and it's more complicated in different parts of the world, and and it's complicated here in the United States, obviously, but it's something where where companies are actually putting real efforts toward it. Uh, we have uh, at Corn Ferry colleagues that specialize in DEI, and they've never been busier. So, uh, trying to teach companies not just how to attract, but really uh, how to retain and how to develop talent, diverse talent inside a company, because while it may be a challenge to to get as diverse a workforce as one would desire or say that they they want to have, it's even more difficult to keep people who are doing excellent work and advance them in an organization. And so. The, the organization needs to be taught how to uh, be welcoming to people as well. When a board member or chairman calls you uh, to find somebody, what are they not happy with? Do they know what they're looking for? <laughs> and what kind of person do they describe what they need? Well, they always describe somebody who walks on water, right? Somebody who can do everything. Somebody who's got strong financial skills, financial management, strong strategy, strong technology, strong creative, strong people skills, strong communications, uh, fundraising ability and, 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 and investment banking relationships and a Rolodex of relationships for sales and marketing. And so they describe somebody who does 20 things really, really well, or whatever the number is. And I always tell prospective clients, particularly these chairmen or CEOs, when they're looking to fill out the executive suite, you're never going to get 20 out of 20 on the quiz. And so somebody might be able to do 10 or 11 or 12 of the, of 20, but never 20 out of 20. And by the way, you know, seven could beat out 12. You know, if you wait, you know, some things are more important than others. And so it's really not, not that people have to compromise, but it's the reality that nobody gets 20 out of 20 on the quiz. And so uh, we work really hard at trying to prioritize what are the most important things. And, and oftentimes it's financial management or it's the sales and marketing and revenue creation uh, and Rolodex kinds of things, uh, depending on what the job is, what the role is, and the particular needs of the company. But the other thing that gets added in, in addition to the uh, DEI aspect of it, is the ability to pivot and change and adapt to a marketplace that's changing just about minute by minute. And so the competitive issues are changing minute by minute, sometimes because of technology, sometimes because of M&A, sometimes because of changing economic models and so on. And so people have to, companies have to adapt to this change really, really quickly. So Wim, let's say that you've hired Bill to bring you some candidates for a senior role at Cineonic, and he brings you two or three candidates. What are you looking for that helps you determine which one of those three you're going to eventually hire? 
Well, you know, for me, it's important always to find out, is it somebody who can gravitate within the organization, right? Don't make it too specific about an exact, you know, job description kind of thing. I'm looking more, is it the person, does it fit in our culture? Can he add to our culture? And by that, is the investment we, which we both do on both sides, is going to be, is, it, is he going to be happy or she's going to be happy? And, and are we going to get, you know, the benefit on productivity? So, so that match for me is probably priority one. Uh, and that's independent of the function, what it is. And I think probably today uh, we would talk more about it because we sit in a certain industry. Is the person feel good within the industry, right? Does he has a connection to the customer base we are serving? So so it is it is much more about that than it is about technically what's the inside of the job. Because typically when, when it comes up to, you know, like you said, right, we'll, we'll, Bill brings the candidates, they all technically can do it, right? <laughs> but but is the match there? Does the chemistry sit well? Is he going to be able to gravitate within the organization? That's for me important. Does he seize the opportunity? And I think Bill mentioned it before, but I today, can he deal with ambiguity? Can he deal with change or she with change, right? Not easy, right? When the market is changing so fundamentally, are they still strongly grounded or do they lose their leadership, right? And 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 so on, which is often happening with people. So, so those are things I, I definitely would be very keen on uh, finding out. Bill, what are the top two or three concerns that boards have in finding the right candidate if it's a CEO position? What are the priorities they're looking for in this current marketplace? I think it's a, I, th- I think it's a couple of things. One is it is uh, a track record. If somebody has been able to achieve a, a level of success at a similar or or even dissimilar company, but but the but the fundamental issues that face that company over the last three to five years are facing this new company currently or going forward for the next three to five years. So it's a track record is number one. Number two is and that and that encompasses capability, leadership, communications, uh, Wall Street. Uh, relationships, investment banking relationships, investor relationships, and 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 the like. Again, that uh, leadership around uh, developing teams, creating teams, uh, communicating with teams, and so on, and that ability to pivot and be able to demonstrate how he or she has been able to pivot in a in a changing marketplace. And of course, DE and I comes into it. Um, uh, all things being equal, so companies say they would like to have a diverse candidate. And again, the definition of that is as broad as it can be, but uh, it's an important aspect and now one that is much higher priority than it ever was. And so, and and dealing with change, uh, and pivot means dealing with change. And again, it's change in technology, it's change in monetization, it's change in uh, marketplace conditions and and technologies and the like. So, it's it's all around leadership, change. And and uh, and and that ability to lead people through change and have a track record of success in doing that. Wim, what are your thoughts about the top two or three leadership uh, requirements in this in this environment? Leadership, I think, today is more important than ever. Right? I think we need more people who can lead the troops forward. When I would think of my top leadership elements, I think it, it's you want people who can be you know flexible on their feet. Uh, you want people who are really customer-centric and want to make sure that they really have a good perspective about uh, what the customer expectations are. But you also want to have leaders which, for me, are grounded, right? And what I mean by that is leaders which know really what, what they're strong at and being able to act from that force and being able to create followers. And I think it is it is about um, being able to talk 
and bring messages specifically in crisis which they can convince their troops from uh, which direction to go and and i think the more people the more people have have their roots uh, the stronger their roots are the better they can lead and i think specifically in times like this cert certainly around the crises i think that's an important topic uh, to have as a leader our guest insider today is bill simon we'll be right back Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced service and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 90,000 projectors installed globally, over half of the world's cinemas are illuminated by Cineonic. Visit Cineonic.com and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow today. Our insider today is Bill Simon from Corn Ferry. Bill, we've spoken with all our guests on this program, and they all agree that the difficulties they faced in the last year were probably the most difficult of their careers. What were executives in Hollywood hit with a year ago? I, th I think it was all about the complete unknown. I think uh, people were really trying to figure out, well, we can't release a movie. What are we going to do? We can't open a movie theater. What are we going to do? We can't sell popcorn. If, if you're in the exhibition business and you're, you know, and we've seen, read all these stories, you know, it's, it, or if you're in the live event business, if you're in the music concert business, if you're in the stand-up comedy uh, platform business, I mean, how do you adapt to suddenly having the clubs closed? The sort of closed uh, culture of the media and entertainment space now has to open up its uh, lens a bit and, and be able to adapt to work with companies, whether it's uh, an Amazon, a technology company, or with uh, or other big technology companies who are funding, an Apple and so on. There, there's a different mentality. There's a different way to analyze business uh, opportunities. And, and it's only with that uh, success potential success that these companies really are going to be able to uh, to create a, a 3.0 or 4.0 version of themselves going uh, into the next chapters. And how, how what is that feeling right this moment? I think people are more optimistic today than than they were even three months ago. I think there, as we look at the numbers here in North America in terms of new new uh, infections and the vaccine rates continue to go continue to go up, although not as fast as some of us might like, and and so on. Um, I think there's a sense that uh, the world is is starting to reopen. And again, maybe we're reopening a little too quickly. Maybe we're not. Um, you know, we can, history will be a judge of that. Uh, but but I, there's a sense now that that uh, you know people are going to start going back to re are going back to restaurants. Are starting to you look at you you mentioned the box office at the outset of this program, right at the top of the program. Um, th those are pretty exciting, impressive numbers. Uh, much better than I think any of us would have guessed two weeks ago. By the way, I think they beat expectations, and uh, and I think that shows there's a uh, a resiliency and an appetite and a desire to. Uh, to, to, if you will, re-enter the, the, the world again. If I look at a bill, last year was deeply challenged for many. If you could advise those who found themselves out of work in their career, what, what would you say to them? Well, nobody, nobody wants to be out of work when they really are looking for work or want to be in a job. And so it's a, it's a difficult time. And unfortunately, and, and the reality is it becomes a numbers game going forward. So you, I always tell people you have to go kiss 100 frogs you know, before finding the next job. And, and, and if you talk to 100 people, statistically, you'll come up with two or three 
uh, specific opportunities. But in particularly at a senior level and a more senior level, there aren't you know it's it, it, the, the the job structure is is like a pyramid. There's fewer senior level jobs at the top of the pyramid than there are at the bottom of the pyramid, and so it, it really is a numbers game. And there's a lot. There are many, many, many highly qualified, successful executives who are not working today. And so there's a big talent pool that's sitting on the sidelines looking to get back into it. And not everybody's going to get a new job at the same level. So people have to become much more realistic about what they're good at, what they can do, what they can achieve, what they where they can be successful. But also open up the lens a little bit further and say, okay, well, I was I was in the you know, movie business, um, you know, could I work in television? Could I work for a streaming company? Could I work for a production company? You know, there's different chairs around the table, if you will, of content. And I think looking at different kinds of opportunities and, and also being realistic enough to know that there's not necessarily the same job out there that you once had going forward. And so it's a tough, uh, it's, it's a tough realization for a lot of people to, uh, to come to grips with. How transportable is a media and entertainment career? If you've had a 10-year, 15-year career in media and entertainment and marketing or, or content creation or finance, is that transportable to another industry like architecture or uh, real estate or uh, Silicon Valley? Do those industries welcome yeah, some of someone's resume yeah, from media and entertainment if someone's had a sense that... I've had this. Uh, I'm out of here. Yeah, I think you know. I think some some jobs, some roles are are much more transferable than others. And so, a finance person who's worked in, uh, you know, in, at a production company certainly could find uh, opportunities working at a consumer products company, uh, you know, in finance or something. Or same thing with general counsel. I mean, the function, the functional positions, maybe HR, maybe uh, finance, maybe uh, you know, if you're a creative executive, it's going to be pretty difficult to find a a a welcome mat at a uh, pharmaceutical company or at a uh, uh, at a fast food company or something. Uh, so I think it depends on the position. I think it depends on the roles. I think it's, but I think what is incumbent upon executives to do, regardless of what side of the business they're on, is to really be honest and self-aware about what it is you really do. What, it, what are your skills? What is your expertise? You know, are you a marketing person? Okay, are you a are you a consumer a consumer focused? Are you more B two B? Are you the creative one? Are you the analytical one? Are you the one with all the metrics and the data? You know, the big data now that uh, is so powerful. You know, so are you know if if you're dealing with data, is that transferable to real estate or to another industry? Could be, could be very well. So it's a matter of realistically being able to to articulate your own story what your real skills are, what your real abilities are, and, and make the case. But it's tough. It's tough. And by the way, some industries don't pay as well as the media and entertainment space. If I'm looking for another uh, career or I'm looking for another job, how important is the resume? And what other things do I need to do to actively find a new opportunity? The resume is important primarily for, for, it does two things. One is it, it forces you, the individual, to actually think about and then describe what it is and who it is you are professionally. Okay. I mean, I get hundreds of resumes every week, every month and so on. And, you know, I, I don't really care about, you know, how pretty the font is or in the old days, what the paper stock was or whatever. Now everything is electronic, so it doesn't matter. But, uh, and I don't care about the, the drinking the fine wine and the long walks on the beach on a resume, but the ability to describe concisely what it is you have accomplished 
in each of your jobs, in each of your roles is really important. It, it, first of all, it helps you to be able to articulate your own story to other people. It becomes your own cliff notes, if you will. Secondly, as it relates to somebody receiving your resume, it's important, um, you know, to be able to tell a story really concisely and, and for people to see where it is the value add that you might be able to pr uh, provide, you know, quickly and easily. Uh, and so it's, a, and then it becomes a numbers game. You just have to talk to a lot of people. It's about networking. It's about, you know, in the old days you say, well, go to these events, go to these networking events, go to these membership organizations and, and so on. And so some of it now will be done uh, via Zoom or Skype. And some will start to happen again in person soon. And, and so I think membership organizations and trade organizations are really, really important. Wim, you run a global business and you hire quite a few people. What's your thinking around hiring now? And how is that different than what it was two years ago? I think we're more selective right now, right? If we need somebody, we really think it through two or three times uh, to make sure how strategic, important uh, that uh, job is. I think that if you talk about the strategic positions, they continue, by the way, you, you need those, right? Uh, because they're creating your differentiation uh, on the long term. If it's about jobs, which is about capacity, uh, you think twice. You see, can I make it flexible short term? And if it stays longer, maybe I, I will fill somebody in. So so there, there's a different approach there. But building companies for us is absolutely based on people. Uh, it's not we, We're not a production side kind of thing, right? So it's based on close connection with the customers, and it's based on on people who can make the difference. And, and that, I think, is still something you, you want to bring into companies. You have uh, placed probably more people in more senior jobs than anyone in Hollywood. It must be enormously rewarding to help connect the needs of an industry with the goals of an individual. Talk about that feeling of your role in facilitating success and how you work in that in that process and how you feel about it. Well, I think one listen. One of the most satisfying aspects of, of what we do is that we're we're impacting companies and we're impacting individuals in terms of their lives and their careers. And and there's a great deal of satisfaction. And we have the good fortune of having a success rate that's literally 99.9 percent uh, in terms of these placements. And we have people that we've had relationships now for more than 20 years. And 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 seeing people grow. Uh, and achieve even greater levels of success. Um, a lot of satisfaction, and 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 also being having a ringside seat or a fifty-yard line seat at uh, in the stadium, watching the business and and being on the periphery of the industry and and being a, and having a, a pretty keen point of view about it doesn't make us right, but but uh, but occasionally we are in terms of what what what's happening, what's going to happen, what's likely to happen, and who are the people that can make a difference. And and being able to identify those people, particularly earlier in their careers, and see them progress and succeed uh, brilliantly and 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 have an impact on an even bigger group of people and executives. So it's it's very satisfying. And uh, and again, some of these relationships and have turned into friendships of 20 plus years and uh, you know, that, that's one of the upsides to it. And so I, I, I've got a group of, uh, of colleagues and friends around the industry that, uh, that we know each other really, really well and through good times and, and tough times too, by the way, because everybody has a tough time and everybody has a hiccup and, you know, we want to be there for those people then too and, uh, and to help people get through those tougher times. So it's, uh, it's, the, the short answer is it's very, very satisfying, Jim. And that's why I continue to do it. And if I, you know, if I didn't have that satisfaction, I certainly wouldn't do it uh, for as long as I have. Well, you play a critical role for our industry. You have for some time, and you're one of the great, great assets our industry has. 
in putting uh, these needs and desires together. And we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bill Simon. Thank you, Jim and Wim. I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you. Our quote of the day comes from Hollywood producer Tom Noonan, who wrote in Forbes magazine this week, it's pretty fantastic that the two movies vying for first place this week are led by women. It's hard to remember another weekend in our recent past that featured two women vying for the box office crown. Emily Blunt in A Quiet Place and Emma Stone in Cruella give us one more reason to celebrate this week. Thank you, Bill Simon. Thank you, Wim. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.